anyway, well, it's good to be back up here teaching. It's really good just to be back in Yahweh's Word and studying His Scriptures. Uh seems for me lately that life's been flying about a thousand miles an hour, and it's uh, it's hard to hard to keep up. But uh, but not today. Today's Yahweh's Sabbath day, and um, it's a day for rest, and that's what we've done. And and I've spent the whole day in Yahweh's Word, reading Yahweh's Word, and studying Yahweh's Word, and it feels so good. Praise Yahweh for the Sabbath day. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter four. That's where we'll start this evening. I know that I've made this point several several times, but I'd like to make it again. I think it's important to be repetitive in some of the things we say. And this epistle is given to us to test our faith, to see if we're really in the faith, if we're genuine believers in Yeshua. It's a book of tests, and tonight's verses are no different than those those verses before that we've went through. We're going to cover verses 11 and 12 tonight in the fourth chapter of James. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot. I know that's not a lot of scriptures to cover in a, to cover in one night. And I'm not trying to belabor the point. I'm not trying to drag the book of James out. However, I do want you to understand what he's saying. And I, and I don't want to read through something too fast or go over scripture too fast that we lose something that Yahweh has to offer his children. So with that being said, let's, uh, let's read James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, and we'll get started. Verse 11, it says, don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother judges his brother, criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, to me, at first, these two verses, they seem kind of out of place. Kind of like they're just thrown in there. Just uh, they're just a, seemed like they were just a self-contained unit of thought, verses 11 and 12. And they really didn't seem to fit with verses 7 through 10 that were before it. And they didn't seem to fit with verses 13 through 17, the verses that come after and finish the, ch- the fourth chapter. But remember the last time I, I taught, we studied on verses 7 through 10, and we talked about how to, how it was to receive the greater grace that Yahweh gives. That's what 7 through 10 are talking about. And remember, it was a recipe for salvation. We submit to Yahweh, we draw near to Him, we humble ourselves and and before Him, you know. So the more I studied verses 11 and 12, I realized that they tied right in. See, James tells us in verse 6 that Yahweh, in verse 6 of the fourth chapter, he says that Yahweh gives grace to the humble, and then he tells us in verses 7 through 10, and he sums it all up by saying to humble ourselves so that Yahweh can lift us up. So humility is the test of the true believer. Well, James continues that thought in verses 11 through 12 with an example of the opposite of humility, speaking out against one another. In other words, a person who is humble would definitely portray a spirit of kindness and goodness towards others, but a person who is not humble will speak out against others and slander them in every effort, usually just to make themselves look better. That's the idea. Most of the time, that's what it comes from. The exact opposite of humility and a humble character. There's so much bound up in these two verses that we probably won't even get close to covering all of it tonight. There's there's just so much there, and I'm going to do my best, but I urge you to study this on your own time. Go back and meditate on these things and see what you can find, because these two verses are very rich and very vast. I mean, it, it this there's more to say. There's more in the Bible said about somebody's character and defaming somebody's character or destroying somebody somebody's character than anything else in the whole Bible. 
There's more to say about it. So, and please do this. Don't ever just sit here in your seat and listen, and then after the service is over, go home assuming that what was taught here is all that need to be understood about this subject. Don't do that. So many times we sit here, I sit here, and and just take for granted that what I've heard about a subject or what I already know about that subject is all there is to know. That's common. I do that a lot. But that's not the case, and I can't tell you how many times that we've been in a service reading the law, and something jumped out at me that I've never seen before in a way that I've never seen it before. I've read the law through many times, so I know I've seen that particular verse before, but for some reason, it just jumps out at me in a different way. Maybe, you know, we're in a different place in a different time in our life, and, and uh, Yahweh speaks to us through his word, you know, and so many times our particular mindset and circumstances at that particular time affect how and why we read the things the way we do. So in a different time and place, rereading something will bring a whole new light to it and that you may not that you might not have thought of before. So I urge you to read the scriptures and reread it and read it again and then study it. Study it and meditate on it and let Yahweh speak to you through it. That's the way he speaks to you is through his word. You want to hear Yahweh speak, you open this book right here. He doesn't speak in audible voices to everybody. I'm not, I'm not saying that he doesn't or hasn't in the past, but Yahweh speaks to us through audible. I mean, through, through his word. When we open it, this is a spirit-filled book. It's full of Yahweh's spirit. And if we want to learn from Yahweh, open the book and let him speak to us. Listen to a sermon, hear a matter out, but by all means, go back and study it for yourselves. Otherwise, you might miss something that Yahweh has to show you. So don't do that tonight. So don't do what I'm telling you not to do. Don't do that tonight. Go home behind me. Be a Berean. Take the time to study. Search all things and know and know what you know. Know it for yourself because one day, it's, and I, I'm not, I don't mean this about me, but one day it might not be me to answer the question or it might not be Matthew to answer the question or Arnold to answer the question or Frankie or Dan or Danny or it might not be somebody that you that you have a lot of confidence in to answer that question. It may just have to be you one day to figure out the question on your own. So be a Berean. Get used to studying. Get used to understanding what Yahweh has to teach us. And, and study, his learn, learn, study His Word. Learn it like the back of your hand. Know it. Well, let's read verse 11 again. I got off on a whim, so I probably lost what I was going to say. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Okay, it seems like James is talking about the destruction of another one's character. The version that I'm reading, the HCSB, is a great version of the Bible. It's not a bad version. I love it. I really like to read it. However, I believe that in this verse, they've chosen a word that in lack for a better word, is a little bit what I would call loose. The word criticized here is kataleleo in the Greek. It means to slander, to speak evil of, or to defame someone's character, which seems a lot more pungent than criticized to me. So let's use the word defame here instead of criticize. Just take the word criticize out of there. We're just going to replace it with something that's just a little bit stronger. We're going to take the decaffeinated out and put caffeinated in. We're going to, we're going to make it stick. I'm not trying to rewrite the Bible, but I do want to help you get the sincerity of James's message across to you. I want you to understand how serious this is. Defame is the root word for where we get the word defamation from. I'm sure you've heard the phrase defamation of character before. I'm sure you've I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. It means it means to attack the reputation of someone, to publicly 
to publish falsely and maliciously say things that slander and injure someone's reputation. In our country, it's against the law. Defamation of character is against the law. In Yahweh's word, it's also against the law. The reason it's against the law is because someone's reputation is their greatest asset. Let me repeat that specifically for all the kids in here. Someone's reputation is their greatest asset. In other words, your reputation is the best thing you got going for you. That's that's what's going to mean the most. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, Arnold quoted this a while ago. This is what I was talking about. I believe he read my sermon. But the Bible says a good name is to be chosen over great wealth, and favor is better than silver and gold. It's important that we pay attention to this because Yahweh is definitely concerned with it. A good name, a good reputation is more desirable than great riches. To mar someone's reputation is to defame their character. That's what it means. And Yahweh hates it. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 through 19, Yahweh, in, in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there's a, there's a list of things that Yahweh hates. You're probably familiar with the verse, and if you're not, you will be when I, when I quote it right here. But it says, six things that Yahweh hates. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. These Three of these seven things that Yahweh hates has to do with how you speak about another person. A lying tongue, a lying witness, and one who gives false testimony, and who stirs up trouble, one who stirs up trouble amongst brothers. Those are three things that are mentioned here, and all of them have to do with what you could say about somebody. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse 1, Moses tells the children of Israel, You must not spread a false report. Do not join the wicked to be malicious witness, to be a malicious witness. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 28, it says, A contrary man spreads conflict, and a gossip separates friends. Proverbs 17:9 says, Whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. The scripture is absolutely full of verses of warnings against gossips and the destruction of a fellow brother or sister by destroying their character. There are also many illustrations of how this plays out in Scripture. There's many examples in the Bible. For example, one of them is 1 Kings chapter 21 with the story of Naboth's vineyard. You're probably familiar of it, but you remember remember Naboth, he had a vineyard in Jezreel and it was right next to King Ahab's uh, place in Samaria. And Ahab wanted it, so he tried to buy it. He offered silver and Naboth wouldn't take it. So he offered another vineyard and he wouldn't take that either. He just wouldn't give up the inheritance of his father. And so Ahab, Ahab, he was sulking and pouting about it one day in his his room, and he he had fasted and he wouldn't eat, or he wasn't fasting, but he was just pouting and he wouldn't eat. And Jezebel found him, and she said, "Why why are you pouting? Why don't you just exercise your right as being kings, as being a king? You don't don't have to lay here and pout. You can just go down there and take that vineyard if you want it. You know, you you don't have to put up with that. And so, behind his back, she wrote a letter to the elders where Naboth lived in the city where, where he lived. And she told the elders to orchestrate a plot against Naboth. And she told him to have two evil men come into a feast and sit at the opposite end of the table of Naboth. And when they're feasting, she said, have the two evil men make an accusation against Naboth, saying that he's blasphemed the king and he's blasphemed Yahweh. And so they did. And when they did, all the elders of the 
around the table stood up and they grabbed Naboth and they carried him out in the street and they stoned him to death. So after this all happened, uh, the elders that, that witnessed all this wrote a letter back to Jezebel and she says, Naboth is dead. He's, he's been killed. Well, I guess it, uh, I guess it originally started out of, out of envy, but Naboth was killed because of a false testimony. It's not that the false testimony is what, is what killed him. The men stoning him is what killed him. But, but it all started because, you know, they wanted, I mean, Naboth, I mean, I think Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. And so he made, he made, uh, made two people bring up a false testimony about him. And so that, so when that was done, they took him out and killed him. But it was, it was accomplished by someone bearing false witnesses about an innocent man. Again, go back and study this story for yourself. There's a humbling of Ahab at the end of the story, which Yahweh recognizes and rewards grace, just like James has been teaching us in verses 6 and 7, excuse me, 7 through 10. Yahweh does give grace to the humble, and Ahab repents at the end of the story. But nonetheless, Naboth does die. And another illustration, how about Esther? The whole book of Esther is written because of the heroic acts of a little girl that Yahweh had set in place to save the nation of Israel. That's The whole book of Esther is about that. Remember the story Haman didn't like Mordecai because uh, Mordecai wouldn't bow down when, when Haman walked by. And he told, the, he told King Ahasuerus, he says, write a decree that, to kill all the Israelites. They won't keep your commands. They won't do what you tell us to do. Why don't you just write a decree and we'll have it carried out and we'll kill all the Israelite people. Well, that was a lie. It wasn't that they wouldn't keep, keep Ahasuerus' commands. That's not, that wasn't the problem. He just wanted him dead. He just, Haman just wanted all the Israelites dead. and So he, so he told Ahasuerus to write the decree. And he did it just to promote himself. And that's, a, that's another way that somebody making a false accusation about somebody else causes a whole bunch of trouble. And then there's probably the greatest record of slander in the whole Bible found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 26. Yeshua is facing the Sanhedrin, the greatest court system of his day. And they were looking for a testimony against him, and they couldn't find anything. They couldn't charge him with They couldn't charge him with anything to put him to death. But finally, two false witnesses came forward, and they stated, This man said, I can demolish Yahweh's sanctuary and rebuild it in three days. Now, we know in John chapter 2 and verse 19, Yeshua says this. He says, Destroy this sanctuary and I will raise it up in three days. Now, you and I both know that they're not saying the same thing that Yeshua says. They said that this man says, I can demolish Yahweh's sanctuary and rebuild it in three days. But Yeshua says in John 2, in verse 19, he says, destroy this sanctuary, and I'll raise it in three days. Completely different tales. But that's what, that's what they give him. And why he was why he said that he was standing in the temple complex when he told the Pharisees, destroy this sanctuary and I'll rebuild it in three days. He was talking about himself. We get that. It's that's confirmed in John chapter two and verse twenty one. But that's not the way they reported at the Sanhedrin. And if you add just a little bit of your own opinion to someone else's tale, you get a big old mess. And that's what happened here. That reminds me of one more story, and I want you to turn with it turn with me to it in Second Samuel chapter ten. I want to read the I want to read the whole chapter to you. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and there is so much to be gleaned from this chapter. It's unreal, but 
take what you will from it when I read it. Um, but anyway, we'll get started in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, Sometime later, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan became king in his place. Then David said, I'll show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his fathers showed kindness to me. So David sent his emissaries to console Hanan concerning his father. However, when they arrived in the land of Ammonites, the Ammonite leader said to Hanan, their lord, just because David has sent men with condolences for you, do you really believe he's showing respect for your father? Instead, hasn't David sent his emissaries in order to scout out the city, spy on it, and overthrow it? So Hanan took David's emissaries, shaved off half of their beards, cut their clothes in half at the hips, and sent them away. When this was reported to David, he sent someone to meet them, since they were deeply humiliated. The king said, stay in Jericho, this is David speaking, the king said, stay in Jericho until your beards grow back, and then return. When the Ammonites realized that they had become repulsive to David, they hired 20,000 foot soldiers from the Arameans of Beth Rehob and Zobah, 1,000 men from the king of Makkah, and 12,000 men from Tob. David heard about it and sent Joab and all the fighting men. The Ammonites marched out and lined up in battle formation at the entrance to the city gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah were in the field by themselves. When Joab saw that there was a battle line in front of him and another behind him, he chose some men out of all the elite troops of Israel and lined up in battle formation to engage the Arameans. He placed the rest of the forces under the command of his brother Abishai, who lined up in battle formation to engage the Ammonites. If the Arameans are too strong for me, Joab said, then you'll be my help. However, if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll come to, I'll come to help you. Be strong. We must prove ourselves strong for our people and for the cities of our mighty one. May Yahweh's will be done. Joab and his troops advanced to, to fight against the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites saw that the Arameans had fled, they, they too fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab withdrew from the attack against the Ammonites and went to Jerusalem. When the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadezer sent messengers to bring the Arameans who were across the Euphrates River, and they came to Halam with Shobak, commander of Hadadezer's army, leading them. When this was reported to David, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Helam. Then the Arameans lined up in formation to engage David in battle and fought against him. But the Arameans fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of the charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobak, commander of their army, who died there. When all the kings who were with Hadadezer's subjects saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and become their subjects. And after this, the Arameans were afraid to ever help the Ammonites again. Then in chapter 11, it starts and it says this, In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Forty thousand people died because of a false accusation. Forty thousand people. 
See, all this took place because somebody wanted to put their two cents in about David's character. David was going to have compassion on a rookie king because that king's dad had shown him compassion. Hanan was just a, he was a new king. He was a new king. His dad had died, and David said, I'll just show him compassion. And some knucklehead advisor that Hanan had said, he's not trying to console you about your father's death. He's come to spy out the city. He's going to overthrow it. And because of the lies that someone told about one of the most righteous kings that Yahweh has ever sat upon a throne, Hanan made a grave mistake, and he decided to destroy what Yahweh had given him. That's their beards. That's what he decided to destroy. I'm not picking on anybody here today, but I love this story. He, de- he destroyed their beards. and We all know that the law says not to mar the corners of your beard. That's what the Bible teaches. So the king of Ammon humiliated the men of Israel. Not only did he shave off their beards, but he also cut their garments up to their buttocks. Keep in mind, these men were wearing tunics, and they probably didn't have anything under these garments, and it would have been humiliating to them. So what happens? David says, stay in Jericho until your beards grow back, and then go back. Go back to show condolences to Hanan? No, I don't think so. Not this time. No. David said, go back and remove the disgrace that these people have put on Israel. Number one, they've shaved your beards. And number two, they've shown your areas that shouldn't be seen. And they've disgraced all the nation of Israel, and you go back and you fix this. So David, so David says, they're, they're not going to humiliate us. Go back and make it right. It says that he killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers. All of this had to happen because someone made a false accusation about David. All these people died because somebody added in their two cents. This adds a whole new meaning to Proverbs 28, I mean 26 and verse 20. It says in Proverbs 26:20, it says, "Without wood, fire goes out. You don't kindle a fire, you don't kindle rage, and it dies down. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. It's the same way. If you don't, if you don't kindle it, it'll die out." Without the advisor slandering, none of that would have happened. If they wouldn't have said anything about that, David wouldn't have been humiliated. The humiliation wouldn't have took place, and neither would the war have taken place. David was going to help the man. He was going to be kind to him. And instead, they made a mockery out of David's men. They made a mockery out of Yahweh's people and the nation of Israel. A false witness about someone, slandering someone's reputation, defaming someone's character, all it can lead to is calamity. And in this instance, we've just read about it, it led to death. Wars have been fought over people running their mouth about things they shouldn't run their mouth about. Why do people do it? Why must we defame other people? What's the point? Where does it come from? Well, Yeshua says in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You are you're of the father, you're devil, of the devil. And you carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he's not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. He's the father of all lies. The word devil comes from the Greek word diablos, which means false accuser and slander. That's for Tim. I throw that in there for Tim. And he is the father of all lies. Well, if you are a gossip or a slanderer, Yeshua says that the devil is your father. Slanderer comes from the devil, and it, that just means it's demonic in nature. If you slander somebody's character, that comes from your father. You know, you're, you're demonic in nature. See, slander, slander is built upon all acts of wickedness, including greed, lust, envy, strife, pride, jealousy, so on. That's where all that stuff comes from. 
All that wickedness moves the mouth with hate, and out comes malicious condemnation, defamation of someone else, which really only reveals what kind of person you are. Out of the abundance, out of, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A person who continually slanders another person is not really dealing with a tongue issue, they're dealing with a heart issue. Pride, envy, jealousy, all that in your heart comes out in the form of slander, speech, and defamation of character. So a slanderous disposition reveals an evil heart. And so we can say, this is another test of true saving faith. In James chapter 4 and verse 11. Now the second part of verse 11 says, He who criticizes a brother, same word, catalalio, it means to defame. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. Okay, look at the look at the word judges here. This word is the Greek word krino, and it means to condemn or punish one. It's the same word used both times in the second sentence in verse 11. I know that this is kind of confusing and it's laborious, but I want you to understand what I'm trying to say. If not, this text won't make a lot of sense to you. If I read you the if I read you this sentence and certain the meanings of the words, it, it it would read like this. If I if I changed the words out for the meaning, it says, "Don't defame one another, brethren. He who defames a brother or condemns a brother defames the law and condemns the law." In other words, if you speak evil of your brother, you condemn the law. Exodus chapter twenty three and verse one, we read it a minute ago. It says, "You must not spread a false report. Do not join the wicked to be a malicious witness." Right. If you do this, you break the law. You condemn the law. We know the summation of all the law is love, right? Love for Yahweh and love for your brother. This is the sum of the entire law. So if we slander or speak evil against your brother, there is no way you love your brother, and therefore you condemn the law, the law of that which is love. Now just because we should not speak evil against our brother, that doesn't mean we can't, tell, we can't call out a sinner for repentance. That's not what James is saying here. I don't want you to be confused into thinking that this is the same thing like the modern modern church world teaches, judge not lest you be judged. When somebody tells me that, I say, twist not scripture lest you be like Satan. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. There's a biblical understanding to the verse, and we'll get into that in a minute. But most people take it to mean that you can't judge me or point out my sin. Don't you tell me what I'm doing wrong. You don't, you don't have any right to judge me. Don't judge me when I'm doing something. That's not what the scripture teaches. There are hundreds of verses that would teach contrary to that, and James is not saying that here either. Take, for example, Matthew chapter 7 when Yeshua warns us to beware of false prophets. We have, we have, a, we have a reason to be discerning. We must be leery about, about some things and not just believe anything we hear. And what about Matthew chapter 18? Yeshua says, if your brother's in sin, what does he say? Go and tell him. And if he doesn't listen, what does he say? He said, take two or three more witnesses. And if he doesn't listen then, what does he say? He says, go tell the church and all of y'all, go tell him. That's what he says to do when you find a brother in sin. So there's a plenty of scriptures that allow judgment on, of one's sin or pointing out sin to someone. Remember John the Baptist? He shouted from the rooftops, or rather from the riverbanks. But he shouted, repent, repent of your sin. He pointed out sin and he told him to do it. And he, he told him to repent and he did so publicly. He didn't hide. John the Baptist didn't get behind a bush over there. He stood on the riverbanks. He told the Pharisees, he says, repent, you brood of vipers, repent. You sons of snakes, that's what you are, repent. Get rid of it. And how about Peter in Acts chapter 8? Speaking with Simon the sorcerer, Simon tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, let me buy it. And Simon said, may your money perish with you. 
He rebuked him publicly. He said, go repent. Maybe y'all will have mercy and hear from heaven and forgive you. So we're not, we're not disallowed from judgment of sin or calling someone to repent of a certain sin as long as we have the right intentions, as long as we have righteous intentions. But there is a major difference in, judge, in judging someone with righteous intent, defaming or slandering someone's character. When you bring a sin to someone's attention, you should be doing it in love, not out of hatred. Not to defame our brothers or sisters, but like Paul tells the church to do in Galatia. And, uh, he's, and, and I think it's Galatia chapter 6, maybe in verse 1. He says, Brother, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. So James is not saying to not evaluate or judge your brother's sin. He's just saying, don't condemn him for it. Don't condemn him for it. Help him through it. Lift him up. Don't knock him down. We're not Yahweh, and we don't have the authority to, to condemn anybody. Now, the last part of verse 11, let's read it. It says this, But if you judge, same word means to condemn, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting. The second word, judge, in the third sentence of verse 11, it's the Greek word, Christ. And it means to be an arbiter or somebody who evaluates. A judge, that, a judge in the sense of somebody who sits, on a, sits behind a bench. Someone who's, who decides a case. That's what it means. Now, James has just told us back in chapter 2 to be doers of the law. Not just hearers. And so he repeats himself again here. He says, if you condemn the law, you can't be a doer of it. They're contrary to one another. Instead, by condemning the law, you have made yourself the judge or the evaluator. Somewhat like the Pharisees did. They believed that they could cast judgment on people. Yeshua rebuked them. And Yeshua rebuked Yahweh's children also that listened to him at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, for this. He says, remember, he says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. In other words, do not condemn so that you won't be condemned. It's the same Greek word. You can replace it with the word condemn. Do not condemn so that you won't be condemned. We're not Yahweh. We're not the judge. And we're not able to condemn anybody. That's not, that's not our job. And that brings us to verse 12. In verse 12 it says, There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who is the lawgiver? It's Yahweh. Yahweh is the lawgiver. Well, that, that's synonymous with the first judge here in verse 12. He's not only the lawgiver, he's also the judge. Yahweh is, is both of those. In Matthew chapter, he's, he gives the law and he, he evaluates the law that he gives. He evaluates the, the person that is supposed to be keeping it. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Yeshua says, Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy body and soul in Gehenna. That him is Yahweh. See, he has a total control of the instruction he gives and total control of the punishment he gives for not following him. I also want you to look at the word lawgiver and save here versus judge and destroy. The word lawgiver works hand in hand with the word save. The law is able to save. Not by works that you're saved, but the law is able to save. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 7 says the law is perfect. And converting the soul. Yahweh uses his law to perfect his people. But the words judge and destroy also work hand in hand. If the lawgiver evaluates you and you're not a law keeper, then you'll be destroyed. 
That is almighty Yahweh's prerogative. This is his job, and he can do it however he sees fit. Remember, we're not put here in a place to judge anyone in the sense to condemn him or to her to eternal damnation. That is for the ultimate lawgiver and judge and savior and destroyer to do, almighty Yahweh. All right, the last part of verse 12. It says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Once again, the word judge here in the Greek is the word krino, and it means to condemn. So James makes a very explicit statement here. He is saying, who are you? Do you think you're Yahweh that you can condemn your neighbor? You think you can slander your neighbor's character? You think you can destroy the grace that Yahweh can give him? And you can make a mockery out of him? And if you do that, do you think you'll not be held accountable for the condemnation that you place on your neighbor? See what Yeshua says in Matthew chapter 7, Judge not lest you be judged, for the measure you use will be measured unto you. It means do not condemn, you, and you won't be condemned for whatever condemnation you use, you'll be condemned with. It's the same, same thing. You can't, you can't judge somebody without re- receiving the same condemnation. If you, if you offer condemnation to somebody, then you're going to get it back. That's the way it goes. This is, this is teaching the law and morality of Yahweh. That's, that's what Yeshua is doing right there. He's teaching the law just like Moses taught the law. It's no different. When Yeshua stood up and teach, when they taught, anybody taught in the first century church, when they stood up to teach, they only would teach the Old Testament. That's it. That's all they had. That's all they had to go by. So when Yeshua taught, he taught from the Old Testament. That's it. When he taught, he taught the law. He taught it perfect. He didn't miss a, he didn't miss a beat. He didn't have anything else to teach from. He didn't go over to Romans and get that book and say, well, I'm going to read right here, and Paul says this, and Paul says that. Paul, did, Paul didn't exist in Yeshua's mind. He wasn't teaching. He was teaching from the Old Testament. That's the only thing there was to read. So right here, he's teaching the morality of Yahweh. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, and verse 16 through 19, it says that if a malicious witness testifies against someone, accusing him of a crime, the two people in dispute must stand in the presence of Yahweh before the priest and the judges in authority at that time. The judges are to make a careful investigation, and if the witnesses turn out, the witness turns out to be a liar who has falsely accused his brother. You must do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. That means if you brought a false accusation against somebody, if I if I drug Jerry off into court and I said Jerry broke into my house and stole my TV, whatever the punishment was that Jerry should have received which would have been he would have had to return four TVs to me or three TVs to me. I'm not sure exactly how it works right now. Three, four, and five. But either way, you'd have to give me more than you stole. You'd have to give that back to me if I accused you of that. But if somebody, if, it, if, they, if they investigated it, proved me to be a liar, and Jerry wasn't really stealing my TV, then I'd have to give him three TVs, four TVs, five TVs. He might be glad that I drug him off into, church, uh, into court by the time it gets done. If we did that today, if our system was set up like that today, I guarantee you there wouldn't too many people be dragging folks off into court and trying to sue them for a little bit of money. It'd stop all that. It'd stop all that. So in the stories that we discussed earlier, Naboth, Esther, David, and Ammonites, and Yeshua's condemnation, and the Sanhedrin, did not Yahweh give them back what they, what they give? Sure he did. He did to them what they intended to do to their brother. The measure they use were measured back to them, and we're not to condemn our brothers lest we be condemned. That's the way that works. So in closing, what has James been teaching us here? Well, I think he's saying, isn't this backbiting, gossiping, slandering, defaming people's character? Isn't that all a breach of the humility that he just told us that we had to have in verses 6 through 10? 
He's just saying a true convert doesn't do these things. A true convert loves his brother. In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 9 through 10, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in it. So you show me a person who hates his brother, who defames his brother's character, and I'll show you an unregenerate lost soul. But you show me a person who loves the brethren, who does not speak evil against another, and I'll show you a humble child of Yahweh who has received his greater grace. Brothers and sisters, this is absolutely this is absolutely no good. There's no good that can come out of slandering or falsely accusing somebody else. There's there have been wars fought over this about people saying things about people that that aren't true. And a lot of them could have been avoided by someone just keeping their mouth shut. My mama told me when I was a little boy, she said, if you don't have anything good to say about any anybody, you just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything at all. <coughs> Boy, we'd do good if we remembered that and applied it today. I'll leave you this quote from our master in Matthew chapter 12. Yeshua says this, and I quote, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. The reason we'll be acquitted or condemned by our words is because our words are the very revealing of our hearts. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another and don't don't play God and condemn people as if you're the judge. There's one lawgiver and one judge who's able to save and destroy. He can do both. Instead, love your brother which upholds the law and makes you the humble servant ready to receive the greater grace. Yahweh Father, I thank you for this day and thank you for your blessings, Yahweh. You're a more than good to us, more than we deserve, Father. And we're just uh, we're, we're thankful to be here, Father. I pray that you give us a heart, a humble heart, one that's submissive to you and your will. And Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see, let us see ourselves as we are. Help us to know that that we're nobody, that we're just uh, we're just sinners bought with a price, no different than anybody else can be. Father, help us not to to deny anybody of your grace. Father, let us see the good in people. Let us help people up when they stumble. Father, help us to to show somebody their sin and a loving attitude so that they may may be better for it. And Father, when somebody sins against us, Father, help us to forgive them. Help us to be righteous, Father. We want to be what you would have us to be. Father, I pray that you would um, instill your spirit in us, that that you would grow us in the way that we should grow and help us to walk in the way that we should walk. Father, we may be imitators of your Son, and that you might be well pleased in us. Father, we love you, and we ask all these things in your holy son's name. Amen.